Good morning. Hi. <laughs> it is time to begin our services this morning. It's a great day to be together. Take a moment, please, to silence your cell phones. Kathy Haney. <laughs> she, she didn't even hear me. I could see her phone. She had her phone was lit up. She was showing Whitney something. Uh, so silence your cell phones if you would, please, and uh, let's get prepared to worship our Lord this morning. If you're visiting with us, you are very welcome. We're happy that you are here and took the time to to visit us and be with us this morning. If if you would fill out a visitor's card uh, in the pew in front of you, drop it in the black box, or give it to somebody so we have record attendance. We are called to be servants. Christ and servants of our fellow man so if we can help you in any way make that known on the back uh, if we can assist you uh, it is a I don't know a different day <laughs> today it's church eat church day <laughs> we will have uh, services this morning we'll gather in the fellowship room next door for a meal together and then our afternoon service will be at one o'clock following our afternoon service uh, we will be going to the nursing home across the road over here and sing to those residents uh, and try to uplift them and help them to have a good day as well. And then tonight at 6 p.m., our youth will be conducting services at the Ironton Church of Christ at 10th, 10th Street and Vine Street, Street Avenue, 10th and Vine in Ironton. So if you're free tonight at 6 p.m., please go to Ironton and support our youth as they conduct services there. Uh, Pick up a life group list in the back foyer table as they have changed. If you've not been with us yet this year, uh, we've been announcing that, so take care of that. And pick up a room journal in the back for a list of all of our upcoming events, birthdays, anniversaries, needs for our food pantry. Uh, take note of that. It's running low uh, once again. That's all I have. So if you would bow with me. Let's have a word of, word of prayer before we begin our service. <clears throat> Father, we are so thankful to be in your presence today. We're thankful for the facility we have here, for the opportunity we have to be here. We're thankful, Father, for each person who is present. Bless us by being here this morning. Guide our worship service, Father. Help it be pleasing to you. Help each of us, Father, to learn what we can do to better our lives, to be more like you and your son. Um, just each day, Father, to be better than the last. Watch over the many that we're concerned about who are struggling, uh, many who are sick, many who are hurting. Uh, comfort each of them and help us to be an encouragement where we can. We recognize, Father, and we realize that everything we have is a gift from you. Help us to serve you with it by helping those around us. Of all that we have, all that you've given us, we're most thankful, Father, for your son and the opportunity we have to remember him this morning. And we pray, Father, that you strengthen us where we struggle and that you forgive us when we sin. Guide us in all that we do. Bless us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, number 19. <clears throat> Sing all four verses. All hail the power of Jesus' Name, the name. Oh, 
Next hymn this morning, 647, The Love of God, 647. <clears throat> Sing the first, second, and last verse. <clears throat> and after that, Brother Jason will have our scripture in your prayer.
scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Genesis chapter 11. If you'd like to read along, Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. This is about the Tower of Babel. The whole earth had a common language and a common vocabulary. When the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered across the face of the entire earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people had started building. And the Lord said, If as one people all sharing a common language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be beyond them. Come, let's go down and confuse their languages so they won't be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there across the face of the entire earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the entire world, and from there the Lord scattered them across the face of the entire earth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day today. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in freedom and safety, Lord. And we pray that you will be with those across the world who do not have that opportunity. And we pray that you'll watch over them. Lord, we pray that our worship today will be according to your will, that we may worship you in truth and in spirit, and that it may be uplifting. And we pray that you will be pleased um, with our service here today. Be with those who are unable to be here. Be with those who are suffering uh, grief and loss. And we pray that you will watch over them. Be with those who are physically ill. Comfort them and please heal them as well. Forgive us when we fall short, Lord, and go with us now as we continue our worship. And it's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, hymn number 53 at Calvary. Yes, I stand in
This do in remembrance of me. Jesus' word to the apostles in the night of that upper room. He took two very simple items, the unleavened bread, which represented his body, the fruit of the vine, which represented his blood, the blood that cleanses of our sins. He asked him to remember him, remember the life that he lived, the lessons that he taught, the crucifixion that, that he suffered, the resurrection that he stood up and was came from the tomb and ascended into heaven. This morning, to help us to remember when we take our mind back to the cross, I'd like to read from Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and what will we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. If you jump over into chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Now if we died in Christ, we believe, we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but for the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to the dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go to God and pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we may gather and remember your Son who walked among us and taught us and ultimately died for our sins, Father, so that we may have the opportunity to live with thee in heaven. Father, as we partake of this bread, which represents his broken body, we ask that we do it in a manner that's pleasing to thy sight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we continue to remember your son who died for our sins, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine, his blood that washes away our sins, Father. We are so thankful for that, for the opportunity that you have provided us, Father. We ask that you bless this fruit of the vine and those that partake of it, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.
No one's been overlooked. This concludes the Lord's Supper. At this time, we will also lay by and store as we've been directed to do. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Father, we know that all things come from you. All the blessings of life you bestow upon each of us every single day, Father. Father, we ask for a cheerful and giving heart as we return a portion to you, Father, of what you have already given us, that it may be used in a manner that brings glory to your name, Father. We ask that you be with the elders here at the church and direct them in their giving, Father, that they use it in a manner that would strengthen your church and strengthen their, in your word, Father. Father, our desire is that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 282. I know that my Redeemer lives. 282. Sing the first three verses. At this time, the young children may go to that children's Bible.
invitation hymn for this morning, number 103, Come to Jesus, Brother Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Go ahead and be turning to Genesis chapter 11. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in Genesis 11. We've been going through a series on Genesis this year. If you've been reading through uh, the Old Testament, probably Genesis, I wanted to present some lessons from the book of Genesis that uh, would maybe spur you on in your your study there. Uh, And so we're in Genesis 11. This morning, um, last Sundays of the month for 2024 are going to be even more special uh, than than our normal Sundays, I suppose. At least the sermon is concerned. Uh, so, we are going to be talking about a, a specific topic on each one of those Sundays in the Bible class, and the AM and the PM, uh, 1 PM lessons will all deal with the similar topic. Uh, so today we're talking about unity and, and what that looks like, how we go about that. Um, but I want to talk about unity from Genesis 11 uh, when, we, when we meet the Tower of Babel here. So grab your Bibles and be flipping over to Genesis chapter 11. As we think about devoted from the beginning, that's what we're calling our series here in Genesis, the fallout. So what are we really talking about? What, what's the fallout? Well, in, um, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, right? And then you fast forward to Genesis 6, that sin has so multiplied that everyone, all their thoughts, all the time, are only evil. Uh, and so God decides to destroy the entire world and restart. He hits the reset button, basically, with Noah. Now at the Tower of Babel, we see something that God's known all along. The flood didn't work. It was a reset of sorts, but now, once again, people are set on evil. They, they seem to be united in disobedience to God. And so he's going to reset again. And I'll tell you more about that reset as we go through the text this morning. So, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, when we hear that everyone had one language and the same words, especially after the flood, you might be tempted to believe, if you didn't know how this story ends already, you might be tempted to believe that good things are coming. Um... Noah's righteous line, his, his descendants, <coughs> are all saying the same things. They all speak the same language. So amazing things may be about to happen. But then you read that the people migrated from the east. In Genesis, whenever you see the east, it's usually an indicator of bad things. When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, do you remember which direction they headed? To the east. When Cain was forced out of God's presence, away from uh, his siblings and, and the rest of his family, do you remember which direction he went? The east. Here again we find the east and negative things are coming out of the east. Verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen 
for mortar. This would have cost a small fortune. They're not using the general type of mortar um, that, that stonemasons would have used. Uh, they're using something that's quite expensive. Um, and, and they're making their own bricks. So you should see um, not them hauling stone, but a, a workforce, like a factory, making bricks. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make our, a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so God's command with Adam, his command with Noah, was to what? Spread out across the whole earth and multiply. So already we're, we're, we're seeing the fallout from the disobedience the people have against God, the rebellion that they're having against Him. They are knowingly disobeying. He wants them to go out, spread across the whole earth and populate it, but that's not what they want. That's not their idea. They, they don't want to do that. They want to stay right here in, in what is will one day be Babylon. Um, but they've got an idea. It's not just that they want to stay here in this one spot. They're also building. The, they've built a city. Uh, they've got the brick factory. And now they're, they're going to want to build a tower. And so what does this tower look like? Well, chances are uh, that it looks something very much like this. You might, you might have seen kind of a, a leaning tower of Pisa, Tower of Babel. I don't think that was the Tower of Babel. I think it looked more like this. Um, the term for this type of building is a ziggurat. And they've actually found about 30 of them in this area that are quite old. Um, they are anywhere from 65 to 295 feet square. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? So one side of these things is somewhere between 65. Some of them are different. They're all different sizes. So some of them are pretty small. 65 feet by 65 by 65 by 65. But some of them are quite large. 295 feet by 295 by 295 by 295. Um, the biggest one they've ever found in this area, the biggest one in the world is found in this area, uh, and it's 344 feet square. So right now it's 80 feet tall. If you were to go stand at the base of it today, you look up, it's 80 feet tall. They think that it was would have been much larger than that uh, when it was originally built. Somewhere maybe even larger than, than double its current size. Um, but this is most likely what it would have looked like. Um, so they're, they're building squares, basically, and stacking the square on top of the next one. At the very top, however tall this thing was, at the very top, <coughs> there was a small room. Um, this is the only, this, um, the room, this room inside these uh, this tower, these ziggurats only have one room. They're not like the pyramids where they're, they're, um, they're empty in the middle or they have caves running through them. These things are filled with mud, filled with dirt, uh, so they're solid in the middle. But there is a tiny room at the very top. You know what's in the tiny room? Well, it's, it's a Motel 6 for the gods for when they come down um, between heaven and earth, right? This is an idolatrous temple. They're trying to provide a spot to rest for one of the gods. Uh, the Babylonians would call him Marduk, um, but for, for one of the gods to come rest as he descends from heaven to earth. Obviously, you see the tongue-in-cheek there. Gods don't need to rest. But 
here in this in this uh, this upper room, this uh, this little room that's at the top of the ziggurat would have been a table and a bed. That's the only thing that's in the room. So when you see when you picture the Tower of Babel, most likely you should picture something like this. Um, so that's that's that. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city. Don't forget they're trying to they're trying to get to him, right? At least they're trying to get to the heavens. I don't think they're building this in an effort to worship Yahweh. They're not trying to get to Yahweh. They're trying to get to some imaginable, imagine, imaginary, mythical God, right? Uh, I think that's the, the point. But they're trying to get up into the heavens. And Moses here, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, he says God came down to see the city. They haven't even made it into the heavens, so much so that God kind of has to descend a little bit. And he says, oh, what are you guys doing down there? Oh, I better get a little closer so I can so I can see it better because it's so far away. Um, a little bit tongue in cheek there. So, verse six he says, and the Lord said, "Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them." That's a tough text, isn't it? What's he mean by that? Is 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 are we supposed to see here? Um, God saying that, that, ma- that man will be God's rival in some way, that he's going to um, have the same kind of power as God has or, or something like that. Well, of course not. That's, that's not at all what he's saying. Of course, man will never, can never do anything, can never build anything, can never have any kind of power, any, any semblance of the type of power that God has. <clears throat> so what exactly is he trying to say uh, in this text, in verse 6, I think what he's saying is, if they continue, if if he allows this rebellion to continue, then they will so harden their hearts that any activity will be possible for them, much like happened at the flood. I think this is a reminder. <coughs> Sorry. I think this, this section, this Genesis 11.6, is a reminder from the flood. He's saying... I let the flood go on until everyone's hearts all the time were only evil. I'm not doing that again. Uh, he did that to make a point, I suppose. Um, but here in Genesis 11, he says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not waiting to that point again because I'm not destroying all of mankind again. Because if I allow this to continue, their hearts will become so hard that I can't get through to them. You see that? He does that several times throughout Scripture. Uh, you think of Pharaoh, right, in the Exodus, who, whose heart was hard. But God has all these incredible miracles, right? Ten plagues, one of which should have softened Pharaoh's heart. But ten only make him push back against Yahweh. No matter what God does, Pharaoh's not coming. His heart's too hard at this point. I think that's the kind of thing that God is guarding against here in Genesis 11. You see it again with the Canaanites. Fast forward a little bit uh, in time. Um, and the, the Canaanites' transgression, their sin, finally filled up, filled the cup up. Um, it, it's finally uh, to a point where whatever he does to them to bring them back will not work. And so complete destruction of their society is necessary, much like that uh, of the flood. You see it in the period of the judges as well, but this time he's going to to make some inroads. He's going to win a little bit with the people. 
um, they, will, they will walk away from him, um, and then he will send in an oppressor, a dictator, um, and that person will punish them for a couple of decades, and then they will wake up. They'll come to themselves, like the prodigal son does in Jesus' story in Luke 15. They'll come to themselves, and, and they'll cry out to him, and what will he do? He'll send a, a deliverer, right? Their hearts haven't been so hardened by their rebellion yet that they can't hear, that they won't hear. Uh, obviously, they still have free will, but you get to a point in your rebellion against God that if you allow sin to continue, that it will harden your heart so that nothing he does gets through. We see that with Pharaoh. We see that with the Canaanites. We see that several times throughout Scripture. I think that's what he's saying here in Genesis 11. If he allows this rebellion of theirs to continue, and it is a rebellion, if he allows this idolatry to continue, and I think it is idolatry, then their hearts will have become so hard that nothing he does will be able to get through them to, through to them, and he'll be forced to destroy them again. So he intercedes now uh, and changes out their languages. <coughs> and so... Um, in the hopes that maybe someday he'll be able to find one man who is righteous. He finds that man in Genesis 12, the very next chapter. His name's Abraham. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks. Um, but ultimately, he finds that man in the form of Jesus Christ, doesn't he? The only one who's truly righteous. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see this. I think we've talked about this in the past. Um, but if you've never noticed this, this, uh, this is important. Uh, so you need to make a note in your Bibles to, from Genesis 11 to Acts 2. Because Pentecost, this particular Pentecost in the first century, the, the year that Jesus died, this Pentecost is the one that God's been waiting on since the beginning of the world. He's been looking forward to this Pentecost, like a two-year-old's been looking forward to Christmas. This is his moment in history, the one he's been looking forward to for all time, so that everyone who calls on him will be righteous. Abraham made mistakes, didn't he? Stupid, rebellious, disastrous mistakes, sin. So did Isaac, so did Jacob, so did Joseph, so does David, so does Samuel. So does Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, so Peter, James, and John. But not true for Jesus. Righteous all the time. And in Acts 2, he makes a people who can get inside of Christ. He makes it possible for those people, for Jesus' righteousness to be imputed to those people to us to the church <coughs> excuse me so pentecost is a reversal of babel let me let me show that to you so uh in in the tower of babel you'll find all the different languages right all, that's why they separate because they can't understand each other they were working so well together but then all of a sudden the guy handing the the, the mortar to the bricklayer he starts speaking Chinese, and this guy speaks Spanish, and they can't understand each other, and things are weird. and So they, they separate. But at Pentecost, 
all those languages that have now been spread throughout the world, they all come back together, and every man hears the gospel in his own language, right? Um, Man started the building at Babel, but God started the building at Pentecost. He built the church that day. Man was looking for a way to get to God at Babel, right? Maybe not Yahweh, but they were looking for a way to get to God. God found a way to get to man at Pentecost through the person of Jesus Christ. God dispersed the people at Babel, but he brings them back together at Pentecost. They couldn't understand each other at Babel. But again, every man hears the gospel in his own language at Pentecost. The people at Babel were united in disobedience to God. But the people at Pentecost were united in obedience to God. At least a portion of them were as they submitted to baptism. Now, finally, people have a way to get to God. So Pentecost flips Babel upside down, turns it on its head. It's, it's the reversal. Babel was the sin. Pentecost is the answer, right? <coughs> it's a really neat thing he's trying to do here. Uh, in, in Genesis 11, he's pointing to Acts 2, to that day, that day of Pentecost, where all the, all the, all the things that Babel broke, Babel just about broke the world. It certainly broke, finished breaking, started breaking our relationship with God. But all the things that Babel broke, Pentecost fixes. It restores all that stuff. It gives us a way to get back to him. Right? Okay. So here's why we're talking about Babel and Acts 2. And here's, this is the point we're trying to get to. Unity is essential it's necessary it's precious it's worth sacrificing a lot for but we learn in Genesis 11 it's not worth sacrificing truth for right unity is precious and we ought to sacrifice an awful lot for it but I can't sacrifice truth so that I can have unity truth is paramount it's the most important thing. Right underneath it's unity. Let me explain. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Let me talk to you a little bit about unity. Romans chapter 14. This is an interesting section of scripture. Um, and it may be a section that you're not familiar with. Um, and so we kind of need to walk through, through it just a little bit. Um, I'm going to help you summarize it, but I want you to go back through and read it this week yourself and kind of deal with some of the implications of it and think through what we're talking about today again throughout the rest of this week. Romans chapter 14, let's look in verse 1. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat any, he may eat anything while the while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. What what's he saying here? Remember, truth is the most important, and then unity. Right? I can't sacrifice truth to have unity. Right? So. I sacrifice unity sometimes so that I can have truth. I can't be united with, with people who don't believe what God says, right? So, 
But here in Romans 14, he's not talking about truth. He's talking about, well, you read it in 14.1. What's he talking about? Opinions. He's talking about <coughs> things that, well, the Greek word he uses here um, indicates that this is a well-reasoned argument. So people have studied Scripture, and they've come to a conclusion. Is that conclusion necessary? Maybe, maybe not. Um, could you come to just as good a conclusion and be completely opposite than your brother over here who has studied the same topic and come to a different conclusion? You, you could be. And in fact, Paul envisions a scenario in which that's happening in the Roman church. So let me give you his examples. He starts off by talking about those who are eating. Some, some people only want to eat vegetables. I don't get it. <laughs> some people only want to eat vegetables in the Roman church. Um, I do get it. So let me explain it to you. The, the, the problem here is I think some of um, it's really hard to get meat in first century Rome that's not been sacrificed to idols. If you go into the marketplace, some of you guys went to Peru with us, and Nathan and, and Derek got to go to the marketplace, uh, and it's just an open-air marketplace, and you have these in third-world countries still today where you just go and you, you find all the stuff you want. It, they don't have Kroger or McDonald's or things like that, so you have to go to the marketplace. But in first century Rome, it's very much like the Peruvian marketplace, I would imagine. Uh, and the meat that's been sacrificed to the idols in the temples, they don't throw that stuff away. They don't, they don't burn it. They bring it to the marketplace and they sell it to the guys that are selling meat. Very much like what we would do today, the, the, the back end of Kroger, the back end of uh, Walmart. They buy meat from a distributor, right? And they sell it to you for a higher price so they can make a little bit of money. Same thing's going on in first century Rome with these marketplaces. The problem is some people in the church are going to say, listen, I came out of paganism. Um, I remember doing that. I remember going to the, the idol's temple and we would bring the meat with us and we would offer that as sacrifice. And I thought there was, uh, there was, there was power there. There, there, was, there was significance to the meat there. And <coughs> I just don't, uh, I don't feel comfortable eating that meat. Uh, it, it bothers me. You know that, don't you? You feel things like that. It, it bothers my conscience. Um, from what that person has studied, that seems fair, doesn't it? It bothers your conscience, don't do it. Another person on the other side of the aisle, another Jewish person says, listen, there's no, there's no power in that idol. He, he doesn't have any authority. He's not even real. He can't change the, the, the meaning of the meat. There's no significance to that. Um, you're being sick. Just get over it. Pay for the meat and, and eat it. Enjoy it. God's given us all things. He's cleansed everything. Just, just eat the meat. Does he have a point? Well, he does, doesn't he? Are either one of them wrong? Neither one of them are wrong. They can both be right. In the Roman church in the first century, Paul sees these two brothers, these two factions fighting over this. He says, why are you fighting? Neither one of you are wrong. Since you're fighting over it, you're both wrong. <laughs> How about that? Neither one of you, it, it's, if you don't want to eat it, that's fine. If it bothers your conscience, don't eat it. If you think you can eat it, that's fine. Don't make a big deal about him not eating it. And you can't make a big deal about him eating it. Because this is his opinion. It doesn't matter. 
even if it's well-reasoned arguments. These people are studying Scripture and coming away with two separate opinions. That's fine. It's not truth, right? He's not talking about truth. He's talking about things that um, are opinion-based. Let me give you another example. He's going to talk about special days um, in the rest of this text. So he talks about food. He gives, he gives the Romans two examples. And this is stuff they would have been familiar with. So like they're talking about food. They would envision these two brothers fighting over food and bickering back and forth and trying to split the church and getting people on their side. You're on my side and you're on my side. And, and that, that's what he's envisioning. But he would say, give them one more example. Um, what about special days? I think Passover is important, and I think you need to celebrate it, right? Um, that would be something that, that these first century Jewish people especially <coughs> would think, um, at least some of them. Passover is a reminder of God's care for us, his protection of us, and it's a reminder that you have to do something to get inside that protection, right? Because he saved the Jewish people by telling them that the death angel was coming and if they put the blood on their doorpost, then they were saved. You have to do something to inherit God's protection. That's true in the New Testament, isn't it? Passover's a big deal. You ought to celebrate Passover, right? You ought to think through it. And who in the world would think that it's a bad idea to remember Jesus is coming back? You need to think about that stuff. That needs to work its way down into our minds. That needs to be at the forefront, right? That Jesus is coming back. And that's one of the things that Passover reminds us of. Passover is important. You need to celebrate it. That's what some of the first century Jewish people would have been thinking. That's what some of the folks in the Roman church are thinking. Passover is important and you need to celebrate it. On the other side of the aisle, you've got the guys that are coming out of maybe paganism or even Judaism. And they're saying... Passover is a hold, holdover. It's in the old law. We don't, we, don't, we don't offer sacrifices or anything. Celebrating Passover is silly. Um, God, God says that there's, a, that there's a, a new sheriff in town. God uh, ha, has given us Jesus, and he's the, the new way into God. We don't have to abide by all these laws of Judaism anymore. Those things are shadows, and they were, they were temporary. And who, who needs Passover? Well, are both of them right? Yeah. There is something to be said for celebrating Passover, isn't there? There are um, shadows that are important for us to, to see and to know, right? Was this guy right too in saying that it doesn't hold any significance anymore? Yeah, he's right too, isn't he? And so why are you fighting over these things? Because they don't matter. So here, here's what he says in Romans 14. How dare you destroy your brother who Christ died for over something like this, unity. Whoop. <laughs> it's not us agreeing, period. It's not us agreeing. That's not what unity is. To have unity, you and I have to disagree. Okay, everybody with me? The first step of Unity is you and I disagreeing and then us both saying, I care more about our relationship than I do my opinion here. And so I'm going to submit to you. The guy that, that doesn't think Passover is important, he looks over at his brother and says, I care more about 
you. Heaven forbid I ever throw a stumbling block in your path over something like this. God hasn't spoken clearly here. This is my opinion. <coughs> and so I'm not going to hurt you over something that is my opinion. And so I love you. I care about you more than I care about my opinion, having my own way, right? I care more about you than I have been having my own way. So I'm going to submit to you. And if you want to uh, have Passover, that's fine. I'm not going to be bothered by it. Okay? I'm not going to celebrate it, but I'm not going to be bothered by you doing it. This brother over here that celebrates Passover and can't see why everybody else doesn't says, I'm going to be quiet about this. I'm going to celebrate Passover because I think it's what, I think it's right. I think it's what I need to do because um, it bothers my conscience not to celebrate Passover. And again, this is opinion-based stuff. It's well-reasoned arguments, but it's opinion, right? So I'm going to celebrate Passover, but I'm not going to throw it in your face. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to invite you, and I'm not going to say uh, that you ought to do it. I know how you feel about this, and uh, I'm not going to rub this in your face. I care more about you than I care about my opinion. That's unity. I care more about you than my opinion. And so Paul looks at the Roman church and says, how dare you? I don't think he said it like that. I think there was a little bit more vehement in it. How dare you trip up this brother who Christ died for over, a, over an opinion? Unity says, and that's what we're striving after. John 17, Jesus prayed that his church, his people would be one like what? He gives a metaphor there, right? Like he's and the Father are one. He wants us unified like that. You're not ever going to agree with everybody on everything. You'll be hard-pressed to agree with yourself on everything every time, right? After all these years, I look back on things that I believed when I was 20 or 30 even and think, well, my, my, my views on that have, have morphed and grown. And You'd be hard-pressed to even agree with yourself on everything, right? The problem that we're coming up against is, is it truth or is it opinion? Because sometimes we look at Scripture and we'll, we'll put three or four or five, six, ten Scriptures together after we've studied a topic and we'll think, oh, I've come to the end-all, be-all. This has got to be the way it is. And then someone else will present Another argument after having studied just as much as we have and say, well, I've come, I've come to a different conclusion. If neither one of them are wrong, they should submit to each other, right? That's unity. And unity is worth sacrificing for because it's so precious. Sometimes I, for, I think we forget how precious unity actually is, and so we don't fight for it. Um, stories told of a uh, World War II sentry uh, who's standing outside a bunker. He has no idea what's inside the bunker, uh, and so he's not, he's not paying all that much attention, and eventually, over the cross of the night, he, he falls asleep, 
And uh, the general comes in the next day, and he disciplines the man for, uh, for, for falling asleep on, on duty. And eventually, the man is put on uh, death row. He's going to be executed because of this. He gets off, and the rest of the story uh, is inconsequential. But sometimes if we're not sure what we're guarding, if we're not aware of how precious what we are guarding is, we take advantage of it a bit. But think about it like this. If someone were breaking into your house and your family's asleep inside, how hard do you fight? Tooth and nail, right? You're not getting through me. Not, <laughs> not over, my, over my dead body, right? Literally. That's how you're going to get to my family. We need to fight with the same tenacity for unity because it's precious. If we're lined up under God. That's the problem in Genesis 11. They're not lined up under him. They're happy to disobey. They're happy to do whatever they want to do. We can't have unity like that, can we? On the things that he's spoken on, we obey, right? We've said in the past, this isn't my world. I don't get to make the decisions. If I want to make decisions, I'll go make my own world. But I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. So I abide by his rules. And so when he's spoken on a matter, I obey. But even with my rel, even with my well-reasoned arguments, sometimes you can come to a different conclusion, can't you? And, and you have just as well-reasoned arguments on your side. You've studied just as much. And that's really the goal, isn't it? To study scripture and to come to uh, <coughs> an understanding of who God would wants us to be. If those two Opinions aren't wrong. Let's not fight over them. Because we care more for each other than we do for us being right. It's hard to be wrong, isn't it? It's hard to study for that long and think, well, this, is, this has got to be the way it is. And then someone else presents a contradictory um, viewpoint and you think well <laughs> you must have missed something because <laughs> I came to this conclusion well maybe maybe not right and so we have these conversations but we have them with deference with submission with kindness with gentleness in the hopes of maintaining our unity because it's too precious to sacrifice for opinions this morning if you're outside of God's wall, if you find yourself in a Tower of Babel situation where you're trying to get something that is in disobedience to him, if you found your life is not in line with who he wants you to be, what are you waiting on? Come, come back. Come home. He's waiting with open arms to receive you back. Maybe, maybe you haven't made the decision to be baptized yet, to have your sins washed away, to be cleansed by the power of his word through obedience to his gospel. You can make that right today and become a part of his family to have your sins completely washed away and be righteous in his eyes. Just like the folks were in Acts 2. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Just have some announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, just a reminder, Blake will be going on a, a mission trip through Harding University this spring. All support is greatly appreciated for that, and there are sheets on the foyer table if you could help out. Also, Jeremy mentioned uh, earlier, today is our potluck meal right after morning services, and uh, we'll have no 6 p.m. service. We'll have 1 p.m. service today, and then we'll also be going over to Wingate at 2 p.m. To, uh, to sing to the residents there. Also, during the potluck meal, the uh, youth committee would like to meet with all parents with kids uh, from preschool age through 12th grade, and they'll be meeting in the old or original auditorium, so the auditorium at the very end of the building. You can just get your plate of food and head down that way. Also today, we'll be starting something new called a Pew Packers, and that will be uh, at 1230. That's going to be for preschool to fourth grade. Uh, kids. Uh, again, you can meet in the auditorium up front at 1230 to sing songs and to learn some Bible facts, and Alan Payne will be overseeing that. Also, just a reminder that we'll be gathering gifts for uh, Valentine's Day care packages, and that's for our college students, so uh, if you could help out with that and bring in items, um, you can just place those in the foyer on the, uh, the youth table under the TV, and we have around 17 um, in college right now of our students. Uh, of our uh, kids here, so uh, 17, it's got quite a bit. Also, a uh, reminder, or to let you know that uh, the ladies' class will meet tomorrow here at the building at 10 a.m., and they will be on Lesson 1. Some uh, activities coming up in February. We've got quite a bit uh, coming up in February. Uh, next Saturday, the Saturday coming up, February the 3rd, will be the annual chili cook-off, so it's always a good time, and that'll be at 2 p.m. here at the building. Also, next Sunday, Life Group 4, this is Jerry's Life Group, will be meeting for lunch right after services, and they'll be having soup and uh, dessert. February the 7th, that'll be the first Wednesday in February. The Stepping Stones uh, will be preparing a meal for us, and that'll be soup and sandwiches that's on the menu. And um, February the 10th, that's two Saturdays away, um, it'll be a um, Valentine's Day card craft, and it's for our kids. That'll be sixth grade and younger. They'll be making cards for the shut-ins, and they'll be meeting at the building at 11 a.m. for that. Also, just a reminder, CYC is coming up at the end of February, and as always, they uh, always appreciate snacks, so if you could help out with that, uh, you can just start bringing those snacks in and uh, place them in the, uh, again, the foyer around the, uh, the youth table. And uh, further out, February the 18th, Life Group, Life Group 3, this is Jeremy's Life Group, will be hosting a love meal, and that'll be right after morning services. And that's going to be for our widows and widowers and single folks. So again, that'll be February the 18th. And also, just to let you know that the February schedule is out on the foyer table. So for those men that uh, will be uh, serving and helping out in February, uh, may want to grab one of those. Um, also, just, uh, I know Jeremy mentioned this, uh, that's a lot of activities we got coming up, so just make sure you pick up a Rome journal on your way out and uh, um, that has all the activities listed in there. Also, for our prayer list, just some updates. Uh, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus um, in prayers, Jim Martin, Jackie Hutchinson. Also, Friday Simpson should be having a, a treatment coming up. Uh, Roger Kaufman, Jim Haney, it's good to see Jim here with us this morning. And uh, also good to see Dave Houck with us this morning. And uh, Flo Keeler. Uh, Flo's uh, friends with Becky, if you haven't got to meet her, and uh, she's been having some seizures, so let's keep her in our prayers.
That is all the announcements that I have this morning. We will have uh, one more song and be dismissed with prayer. Let's please stand again. I'm not sure which song I've got because I put two different numbers down. So hopefully, yeah. Hymn number 780. I'm going to read only for a minute. I'll sing the first two verses. Brother <coughs> Steve McLeod will lead us in prayer. When with the Savior we enter the glory land, oh, it's a wonderful day. It is a pray with me please our dear lord god and our father in heaven dear lord we come before you as humbly as we know how dear heavenly father thankful for the day you've given us dear lord thank you for this opportunity to gather together with those of like like-minded and precious faith dear heavenly father that we can worship you father and we pray that this worship service has been uh, pleasing to your ear father dear heavenly father we thank you for this opportunity to be here dear heavenly father we thank you for this family that you've put us uh, amongst dear lord and we just pray that we strive for that unity that you want to see in us dear heavenly father that sometimes we have to to become humble and, and esteem others as, as above ourselves dear heavenly father in order for that to to be what you want it to be dear heavenly father and I just pray that you give us the strength to, and the uh, the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to do that dear lord we are thankful that you are our god father we thankful for your mercy and your grace dear heavenly father we just pray that you help us show that more out more uh, in our lives to others as, as we leave this place dear lord we are thankful for your faithfulness dear heavenly father and your forgiveness dear heavenly father dear lord we pray that uh, you help us to to forgive as as you would have us to forgive dear heavenly father we are thankful for your patience with you, us dear lord and we just ask that, that you help us to be more patient dear heavenly father and we are thankful most for your love dear lord and we ask that you you help us to love more like you would have us to love dear heavenly father that that love that sent Jesus to a cross so that we may have hope of life eternal, dear Heavenly Father, and we are humbled by that, and we're just thankful, Father, and we just pray that we can show your character and the character of Christ and in, into those people that we come in contact after we leave this place, dear Lord. Dear Lord, we, we realize that all things are provided by you, and we are so thankful for all those things. We're thankful for the meal that's been prepared, dear Heavenly Father. We ask that you bless that, dear Lord, we may it nourish our bodies you intend. We are thankful for, for, for the people around us, dear Heavenly Father, and, and help us to show that always. Dear Lord, I pray that you be with those that couldn't be here today, dear Lord, that uh, 
You bless them, dear Heavenly Father, and bring them back at the next available opportunity. Dear Lord, we are thankful for those who, are, who have come back, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, uh, we just pray that you be with all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you guide, guard, and direct every step that we take, that you forgive us of our sins, dear Heavenly Father, and help us to do better tomorrow than what we've done today. It is in Jesus' name we pray for these things, and amen.